Hi, I'm Pastor Lori Boucher, and I want to personally welcome you to the HeartStrong Discipleship Podcast. Are you ready to study the Bible together chapter by chapter? If you go to heartstrong.life and sign up for a free membership, you will get access to the full Bible reading plan and all the bonus discipleship content that we have prepared for you. Open up your Bible and get ready to take some notes because God is going to speak to you today. Let's become heartstrong disciples together through the study of God's Word. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Hello. You know, as we were all sharing, um, this is this isn't related to what I'm going to share this morning, but it kind of is in a way because God is our provider. And I was really challenged. I was getting ready this morning, and I was like, God, like, I feel I just felt the conviction of like we as the body of Christ, like how can we be actively involved in bringing relief and like really practical aid to those who have been affected over this weekend. So. For me, I started my ice maker at my house. I was like, I'm going to make ice and bags of ice so that someone needs ice because there's an ice shortage in the city. So that's like a random little nugget. But I would just encourage that by by so many people coming together. But how do we as the body of Christ be the hands and feet of Jesus in such a practical way? And I want to share a story before we jump in this morning. Um, I was on my way to church. The Lord's provision is all over this morning. Okay. If you don't think the Lord provides, miracle that you're on heartstrung this morning that you are here ready to dig in so I got in my car and I live on the Quebec side and I was driving to church and I knew last night that I had not filled up on gas my light was on empty like for a good half of the day yesterday actually from Sunday I got home from church on Sunday and my light was on empty but I didn't go anywhere yesterday so I get in my car this morning and I start my car and I was like hmm I'm on empty but I was like you know what it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. So I'm driving, I'm going to the gas station. And apparently I didn't know this, but no gas stations are open before 6am. So I stopped at one gas station. I stopped at another gas station. Yeah. No, I was like, Lord, you need to provide the gas for me to get to church this morning for me to get to heart strong. So if you don't believe the Lord provides, he got me to church with like fumes of gas, like under what I had. So thank you, Jesus. And it's so cool because this morning we're actually continuing in our study of Exodus chapters 16 and 17, which is a radical story of God's provision for the Israelites people. I mean, radical is the only word that I can use to describe it. And before we jump in, I'd love to just um, remind all of us like what the theme has been for May, the theme of, of each of us continuing to have a disciplined heart. And that disciplined heart often comes in line with obedience and we're going to see with the Israelites this morning or this afternoon or evening where you're watching abiding in the love of God of following the obedience right that obedient heart to follow God's instructions and the practice of remembrance confession and receiving healing and remembrance is another key thing that we're going to look at today so before we start I did this last time I taught but I'd love to do it again Just as a prayer, as we start today, I'm going to read our key verse for this month. But if you'd like to just close your eyes, I'm going to read it as a prayer over you um, today. And then we'll jump into our sharing of Exodus 16 and 17. So here's a reading from 1 John chapter 4, 15 to 19. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. 
So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in them. By this love perfected within us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is so, also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So Father, I pray that as we dig into your word today, Lord, that that truth that you are love would settle deep in our hearts. As we look at the evidence, Lord, of how you've demonstrated love from generation to generation, from the beginning of time, Lord, I pray that it would not just be a distant truth, but it would be a reminder for us today that you are our provider, that you are sovereign, that you are merciful and generous and gracious to us. Be with us and Holy Spirit, you minister to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I was jumping into action, you, you had Moses, you had all the action going on over the weekend, right? You had the Red Sea coming out of Egypt. And I, I will have some time to chat about that at the end. But it's a continuation of, you know, the Israelites journey from Egypt into the promised land. And sometimes <laughs> I look at the story and I'm like, oh, yeah, like, you know, they went through stuff. But the reality is these are years and years and years of kind of an undoing of the Israelites heart that was so captured in the ways of Egypt and in the norms that they knew back then. So we're going to jump into Exodus 16 and we're going to read it all together and then we'll go back and I'll share some little um, little insights that I read along the way and I found in two reasons, including the ESV study Bible and the enduring word commentary. So let's start out reading in Exodus 16. Just a little note here before this out from Elim. We see that Israel complains against Moses for a lack of food in response. But the Lord graciously provides both manna and quail, the provision of manna, including instructions about gathering that will shape Israel's rhythms and patterns of work and rest that will be revealed more fully later as we continue reading about their journey. So just a little snippet is this is a story of radical provision. I know I share this at the beginning, but from beginning to end in, in chapter 16 and 17, we see that God is radically providing for his people, that there is a cry of desperation. There's a cry of, of hunger, literal hunger from God's people and God hears and he acts. And I couldn't help but be reminded of the fact that this is so directly applicable for us today. So wherever you may find yourself today, this is the story of Jehovah Jireh. God is our provider. So I just pray that even as we read the scriptures, as we go through this together, that it would be an encouragement to our spirit, knowing that if God did it, then he can do it again, right? If he did it back then, he can do it. His faithfulness is from generation to generation. So I just want to encourage you with that as we start today. And if you're only hearing this for the first five minutes, that's your encouragement. Whatever you have need of today, pull on it because God indeed is our provider. So let's start out right in chapter 16, reading together. They set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, 
on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Whew, starting off strong, friends. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it'll be twice as much as they gather daily. Verse six. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening, you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For, for what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to, to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Whew, he went there. <laughs> Verse nine. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay across the ground. And when the dew had gone up, there was a face, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flaky, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. Verse 15. When the people of Israel saw it, and they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall take an omer, each take an omer, according to the number of persons that each of you have in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as they could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it until the morning. Key verse, but they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till morning and it, it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it each as much as they could eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. Verse 22, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. So they laid it aside till morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather, but on the seventh day, which is Sabbath, there will be no more. 
On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my law? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Wrapping up verse 16, chapter 16. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like a coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Mm, I'm hungry for some breakfast. Anyone else? <laughs> Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generation so that you may see the bread of which I fed you in the wilderness, which I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations as the Lord commanded Moses. So Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till it came to habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Okay. That is chapter 16. Now we're going to fly because there's so much in here and that's just chapter 16. So we see here that, you know, they're in the wilderness they're they're create they're entering into a place of hunger and we see that probably this marked about one month after them leaving Egypt because we see in the first couple lines on the 15th day of the second month so they're about a month into their journey of Egypt now a much month goes pretty quick but for them it probably felt very long because they didn't yet know the destination they knew the promise but they didn't really know where they were going they were trusting Moses and Aaron when it says the wilderness of sin, um, this was, they left Elam, which was an oasis of comfort and rest. And they headed towards Sinai, a place to meet with God and receive. But in, in between this place was a place of wilderness. And the original text, when I read that, I was like, wow, the wilderness of sin. Interesting. Now the original text, the wilderness of sin has nothing really to do with this word sin. It probably would have been translated the wilderness of Zin, Z-I-N. Yet as this for you, story unfolds we see that the wilderness had a lot to do with the sin of God's people and the wrestling out of that sin later we see that the people begin to grumble against Moses and Aaron they complained because they did not have enough food the supplies they carried from Egypt were starting to run out and they had to be sustained I love what Moses and Aaron say right off the bat they say although the people right grumbled against them they made it very clear that the their arguments and their grumbling was not against them but against the lord himself as they were a month in we see that maybe starvation was more anticipated than experienced so they had taken taken all their supplies from egypt and the reality was is they did not live through weeks and weeks and weeks of famine nor did they see their family or friends die of malnutrition or even kill their livestock, but the fear began to set in. Instead, they started to feel hungry, and then they anticipated starvation. They felt hungry, but it didn't necessarily mean they were starving in that very moment. They went from singing the praises of God, crossing over the Red Sea, from complaining very quickly, and they lost the heart of remembrance. Of They, they forgot to remember what God had promised them. In Israel, we see that the people, they selectively remembered their past through the time of Egypt. They remembered the good times. They said, why don't you bring us back to Egypt where we sat around pots of meat? However, they lost sight of God's future for them. And they also twisted the past to support their complaining. 
This thinking is often common among those who complain. And I was challenged for us this morning to think about this question. Have we forgotten to remember God's promises, even in the midst of adversity? I think I have at times in my life where I look back and said, those were the glory days. You know, those are the good old days. But indeed, perhaps they weren't because we were actually bound in sin and bondage more than we realized. We see that the people then begin to accuse Aaron and Moses. They say, you brought us out here to kill us. Oof. To be Moses and Aaron in this moment, I don't know how they did it. This is another common practice we see among in our hearts when we complain. We, they, we see that the people of Israel insisted that Moses and Aaron had wrong intentions. Of course, Moses and Aaron had no interest in killing the people of Israel. And this was a horrible accusation to make. Yet a complaining heart often finds it easy to accuse a person they complain against of the worst motives. I think we've all been in places in life where we turn to other people and we say, this is your fault. And we, we quickly turn to blame. Yes, other people, but how much more God, even in the midst of, of situations that God is sovereign over, but we choose to take it into our own hands and say, this is clearly the issue. So we're moving on to verse four. There's a promise here, a remarkable promise that bread would rain from heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but bread does not normally rain from heaven. If you've experienced bread raining from heaven, you need to call me after this call and show me because I love bread. <laughs> I'm a bread girl. Yet God promised that he would provide for Israel, even in the most remarkable and unexpected way. I want to read this. It's, uh, it's from my ESV study Bible. It says this, the provision of bread from heaven was meant to signify not simply the satisfaction of Israel's physical needs, but also that their whole lives were to be sustained from the word of God governed by his word. Later on in the Bible, we see that Jesus makes the same point about himself after feeding the 5,000 when he says, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. We see these little pieces pointing us to Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. And I love that. This reminds us that God sometimes may provide in miraculous ways with resources that we never even knew existed. Sometimes he provides in a familiar way, but sometimes in a very unexpected way. God gave not only the bread, but also the command of how it was to be collected. The reality was that God was providing, but the Israelites still had to go out and gather what they needed every single day. And we see that God used this as a very unique refining process for the Israelites to test them for their obedience, because he recognized that their obedience had to be central if they were going from the bondage of Egypt to the promised land of Canaan. This responsibility would test Israel and measure their obedience. This came on the sixth day when they were about to gather twice as much so that they could rest on Sabbath. We're flying here so quick. Okay. We see that after the promise is made, Moses and Aaron make it very clear that it's not just for their provision that they will receive, but for the glory of God to be revealed to God's people. See, in every way that God provides for us, it's not just for our own good, but it's for his glory as well. I love that about God. One way that God showed his glory was the display of mercy and goodness. He didn't sell, uh, send help from heaven, but he sent bread instead, nor did he demand that they stop their complaining before they ate. Just like Jesus would later command us, God loved and fed those who acted 
even against himself. We see that he then provides meat in the evening. And I love what it says. It says the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud and the Lord spoke to Moses. And it's difficult to know if everyone heard this or just Moses, but the reality was that God was revealing his glory in a very tangible way. Manna sprinkles the camp and it's difficult to see what it was, but we, it describes it as fine as frost. Now we all live in Canada. Do we? Yes. <laughs> we know frost on that March, beautiful March morning when there's frost on our car and we're on the windshield. But the reality was, I, I read this and I thought it was so beautiful is that the, the fact that the manna was sprinkled on the ground, like frost, it required the Israelites to get down, to humble themselves, to kind of sweep it up in a way and trust that that provision, though little would sustain them through thick and through thin in Deuteronomy eight, three, it shares this. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger and feed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. When God puts us in a place of need, he wants to do more than just meet the need. He wants to teach us eternal lessons and also for us to learn that we live by every word of God. We're going to fly here because we're so quick. But we come to the end where they say, they name it manna. And manna literally means, what is that? The name of the, the provision of God is like a question, which I love. It's like a faith of a child. What is that? I'm going to name my goldfish fishy. I'm going to name my dog doggy, <laughs> right? The simplicity and the innocence of heart. Yet also their state of wondering too, of what was going on. Now, I want to focus in on this point. And listen, friends, I don't know how, dig, how deep we'll get into chapter 17, but I'll send you my notes after and you can dig into this because there's so much wealth in this. But we see at the end is that they did not listen to God. They did not listen to Moses. They clearly heard God's command and they clearly knew God's command, yet still they chose disobedience and they chose to rely on themselves for provision and sustenance rather than God. And there was a harsh penalty, their bread, their manna, there is worms and stink in the morning, stink. The bad experience, it seemed to kind of, to bring them back aligned after that. But the reality was, is this was a very key moment for Israel. They had seen the Lord provide. They had seen the miraculous ways that things were coming about, yet still they trusted in themselves. Now, this is going to be key throughout the entire rest of our journey together, because this is the wrestle of Israel the wrestle of spirit and flesh, the wrestle of obedience versus disobedience, self-reliance or reliance on God. And I think that's a question to ask ourselves today is are we willing to choose obedience and trust in the Lord rather than leaning in our own understanding? We even see with Sabbath, God literally was working in this beautiful practice of Sabbath for his people by saying, I will provide for you. I, I know you got seven days in your week, but trust me with one. You know, I heard someone once shared that God asks us for one tenth of our, our finances, our stewardship, but one seventh of our time. And I think sometimes the one seventh of our time is actually harder because we're choosing to say, Lord, I'm putting aside, I'm putting aside my own time, my own um lines of how you got it 
if you provide for the Israelites, how much more will you for us? As we come to the end of chapter 16 itself, after feeding the 5,000, Jesus had a discussion with people who wanted to keep on feeding them with his miraculous power. They wanted Jesus to provide for them, just like Israel provided was provided for with manna. But this is what Jesus said in reply in John 6. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world, Jesus. Jesus is the bread from heaven. We have to receive him like Israel received the manna. Just in this way, aware of our need, hungry. Every single day as we come to the Lord, we need to be aware of our need and say, Lord, we need you. Each for themselves, family by family. I can't receive Jesus for your family and you can't receive Jesus for me. But each for himself, we must go out and collect Jesus, every single day, digging into his word, eating his word, literally our Bibles. I love that we're doing this together every single day and humbly, perhaps even on our knees as the Israelites kind of bent down to sweep up what was God's provision of manna. We must come humbly before the Lord and with gratitude, knowing that although we don't deserve it, God gives so graciously and eating it. Literally the picture of our relationship with God is so connected with the Israelites and manna eating it, taking the gift inside to our innermost being, not just absorbing it in our heads, but allowing the words and the truths of God to sink to our heart. So really quickly in these next four minutes, I'm not going to read through chapters 17, but I'll give you some spark notes. Essentially, they had experienced the manna, they had experienced the quail, but that wasn't enough. The Israelites were getting thirsty. Now my Bible has this water from the rock. And they're moving on. They're continuing their journey through the, the word, um, through the wilderness story. And not only did they see God provide, but now they're saying, Moses, we're a little thirsty. You know, it's a little parched here in this land. We need some water. And we see that God again provided, but God gave very specific instructions to Moses. And Moses began to cry out, you know, we see in, in verse, let me pull it up here, in, right at the top, verses one to four, where the people come to Moses and are so hungry, but Moses cries out to the Lord. And I can't help but think of being in Moses's shoes. You know, if we're all in leadership in different capacities, whether in our families or churches or jobs, and when people come and start to complain to you, oof, it can be a real test of character. But we see that Moses remained true to his obedience to God, his convictions to the Lord, and his call, his character remained firm on the word of God. And we see that again, God miraculously provides. And God commands him, he says, you shall strike the rock and water will come out. Moses was commanded in the presence of the Lord to strike the rock with his rod and water would gush forth. And it did. This was a, a miracle to mark again, the Israelites journey. Now, water doesn't normally come from rocks. So this was a very generous and divine miracle from the Lord. We see later, now don't be confused because later in Deuteronomy, we see that Moses was not commanded to strike the rock, yet he did it again. And that's when the Lord gave a firm word to him saying, I didn't ask you to strike the rock, but up to this point, Moses is doing his best to be obedient to the Lord. And as we close today, um, I want us to close with the part of this scripture where they're going to battle. So they got their food, they got their quail, they got their water. 
and now they came face to face with battle. See, the Israelites often were around battles, right? They had kind of detoured some areas, potential conflict, but now they're in the midst of battle where the Amalekites came to battle against them. And I want to focus on this as we close. I'm really going quick, but we see that Moses goes up in in chapter in verse 10 around there Moses goes up and it says so Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalekite so Joshua went out we get a little sneak peek of Joshua while Moses and Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill and whenever Moses held his hands up Israel prevailed and whenever he lowered them the Amalekites prevailed and this is a, a powerful picture because we see that Joshua was sent out on the battlefield he was going head on but Moses played a very key role in the intercession up on the hill. He was interceding for the battle and he had people beside him to intercede with him. Aaron and her came alongside and lifted his hands up. And what I want us to think about today as we close is, do we have people around us who will, who will stand with us in intercession? I was reminded this weekend that, you know, it's not by strength, it's not by power, but it is by the spirit of God and the intercession of God. So as we go throughout our days, do we have at least one other person in our life that we can call, that we can text and say, I need you to join an intercession right now. I need you to pray. We need, like, as the body of Christ, we were never meant to do life alone. We were never meant to pray alone. We were never meant to journey alone. And sometimes prayers that we pray are sweet and easy and delightful but other times it's hard when it can feel like intercession that we can come before the lord and trust that he is the one who fights our battles moses built spoiler alert i'm not reading the chapter but the israelites win by the grace of god and by the perseverance and the intercession we see that amalekites are defeated and israel won and after that we see that moses builds an altar and this is what he calls it and i there's no better way to close today he closes, he calls the, um, the altar this. He says, the Lord is my banner. Though Moses knew his prayer was important, he wasn't foolish enough to think that he was the one who won the battle. As an act of worship, he built an altar and praised the Lord. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is our banner. It describes a flag or a banner. And this idea of God is victorious in battle and the flag of victory is lifted high. So as we close today, I want to read these scriptures over you that regardless of if you're in lack, regardless of if you're in the middle of battle, wherever you may find yourself today, whether you need to pull on God as your banner, God as your provider, God as your sustainer, God as your, as your faithful one who stands true. We thank you, Jesus, that in Psalm 64, he says, you have given a banner to those who fear you that it may be displayed of the truth. God is our banner over us today. In it all, God received the glory, whether it was providing manna, whether it was providing the quail, the water, or victory in battle, God received the glory. Jehovah Nisi is our banner. And I want us to, to reflect on this question as we close in prayer, is what are some of the promises that we are to cling to in God's word? The truth of God's word that we are to bring to remembrance. The Israelites lost track of God's promises. They lost track of of the faithfulness that God had proven time and time again. And sometimes we need to bring remembrance. We need to constantly like, like be practicing remembrance as a spiritual discipline. Isn't that crazy? Sometimes I don't think of that, but remembrance of the faithfulness and the promises of 
God, both in his word, but to our own lives as well, the, the different words he's spoken is a spiritual discipline that we are to practice every single day because it's in that place that faith begins to get stirred up. That we, So I'd love to pray. And this scripture I've just been reading a lot lately because to be quite honest with you, it's a scripture for this time. And it's something that I believe is so significant and is one of the things that I'm holding on to in this season. And it's in Psalm 100. And as we close today and we dismiss anyone who needs to leave, I'd love to read it over you as I pull it up here. Psalm 100. It's a beautiful, beautiful Psalm reminding us of the promises of God and his faithfulness. So here we go. So if I just re I read this over a prayer over each of you today as we reflect on all that we did this morning or this afternoon or evening, wherever you're watching. I read this as a prayer. It says, shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the richness of your word, God. We could literally study this day and night for the rest of our lives. And every single time come back and receive fresh manna receive the fresh manna of your word, God, your truth, your written truth to us. So father, we thank you for the promises of your word. God, we thank you that you are Jehovah Jireh. Lord, you are Jehovah Nisi. Lord, you are the one who remains constant, even in the midst of the storms. And father, we lift up all those today who need to know you as their peace Lord, who need to know you as your their provider as their banner lord as their victory father we pray that in every situation that you would receive all the glory lord that in the provision lord in the victory in in the midst of peace father we pray that you would be the one who would be glorified god that it wouldn't just be for us but it would be a testimony of your faithfulness to generation to generation so we give you thanks, Lord, and we commit all of this to you. Whatever is weighing heavy on our hearts today, we lay it down and we pick up the promises of your word, knowing that you are one who is faithful to keep your promises. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for today's Bible study. Don't forget to visit heartstrong.life to access our daily blog for even more encouragement. Visit the HeartStrong shop with all kinds of awesome merch like hoodies, t-shirts, and mugs to remind you of this awesome journey of discipleship that you are on. Log in to heartstrong.life to access all your member content, resources, and downloads. We have live Bible studies for adults, students, and a Bible bootcamp for kids. Let's become HeartStrong disciples together.